Thank you for joining IRW Coffee Break. This is a podcast hosted by the KPMG IRW specialists within Washington National Tax to discuss current topics in the field of information reporting and withholding. Every episode will discuss a discrete area of interest in a short 10-minute segment. These segments aren't intended to be a comprehensive discussion of law, but rather are intended to be a quick knowledge update or a refresher that you can fit in over a break. So we invite you to grab a cup of coffee, fit in an afternoon stretch, or just get comfortable while we explore all things IRW. Hi, this is Danielle Nishida. I'm here with Lori Hatton-Boyd, and today we'll be discussing a couple of reporting issues that impact financial institutions who are reporting under FACA and CRS. July has become a really busy reporting period in our industry due to the fact that many jurisdictions, including, for example, the Cayman Islands, France, Germany, Austria, and others, have their FATC and CRS deadlines hitting on July 31st. In addition, this year we've got certain other jurisdictions that have extended their reporting deadlines out to the end of July or early August. Examples of these jurisdictions include Liechtenstein and Taiwan. Given the large number of reporting deadlines coming up, we thought it was a good time to have a discussion regarding a couple of key reporting issues. The big issue we want to address today is how do you report for FATCA purposes when you've got an account that's treated as a U.S. account, but you have no U.S. TIN? This situation comes up in several cases. For example, it'll happen if you have a known or documented U.S. account where this person simply hasn't provided a U.S. TIN or has indicated that they have no U.S. TIN. It can come up in an account that has uncured U.S. indicia. So the person has to be treated as a U.S. account, but you weren't able to obtain a TIN from them. And it can also come up in a situation where you have an undocumented account, but you're treating the account as reportable. And this is a tricky issue because you're technically not allowed to have undocumented accounts under the IGA. The presumption is that you're either following the compliance procedures set out for pre-existing accounts or you're obtaining documentation when you obtain a new account. And so they don't really have a carve out or any presumption rules of what you do when you didn't follow those procedures. Technically, what you're supposed to do under the IGA is close that account so you don't have the situation. But practically speaking, that's not going to work in all cases. In some cases, you're simply prevented from closing the account due to local jurisdiction rules. So you may have the situation where you've got an account that's just completely undocumented. And the question is, well, what do you do with that account? If you don't report it, then you're not following the documentation procedures. And there's an argument that you're helping a potential U.S. account holder evade reporting which would be problematic, the better answer is to report it. So even if you haven't followed the documentation procedures completely, you've at least done everything in your power to report that account to the U.S. And so that results in a situation where you've got an account holder who may or may not be a U.S. person. You don't have appropriate documentation and you obviously don't have a U.S. TIN. So there's a variety of scenarios where FFIs may be in the situation where they have to report without a U.S. TIN. And the government has addressed this at least for prior reporting periods. And Lori, do you think you could provide a little background on this issue? Yeah, sure, Danielle. So so as you know, the uh, Model 1 IG itself gave those FFIs for those pre-existing accounts until the end of 2016 to get that US-10. And then it came out with additional transition relief in Notice 2017-46, where they said that a Model 1 FFI would not be held in significant non-compliance through 2019 with respect to the lack of these US TINs as long as it did certain things. And it had to implement practices and procedures to ensure that it's properly documenting the accounts and reporting adequately where it's required. They needed to obtain and report 
the date of birth of U.S. reportable accounts. They needed to request these missing U.S. TINs on an annual basis. And they also, I think they had to do an electronic search for the TIN to see if they actually had it. So we're at the end of that transition relief, obviously. The FFI at the end of that point was supposed to close the account. Yet, as you pointed out, in many jurisdictions, either by the contract the bank entered into with the account holder or by local law, they can't close the account. And they're not getting responses back from the account holders when they're doing this annual solicitation. So they're they're really stuck in this problem. And it's kind of exacerbated because the IRS has made clear that for 2020, that there just was no more relief. That was the end. And now the financial institutions are reporting and that information is going to be exchanged with the IRS at the end of September of this year. So it's going to now come to light how many FFIs were not able to obtain those TINs. So if I'm an FFI and I'm in this category of having to report, but I lack the TIN necessary, what's the outcome? Am I going to lose my status immediately? So the IRS came out with an FAQ and they talked about this 120 days where they're going to analyze the data and they're going to determine whether there's significant noncompliance or not. If it's a Model 1, obviously, we think that the error message is going to go back to the participating country that you've got this FFI that has a problem. So either they need to correct their reporting or I guess, you know, we have these so-called soft letters that go out to participating FFIs and reporting Model 2 FFIs where the IRS can reach out directly and ask for explanations of things. And I'm guessing that they're probably going to do the same thing, but it would be coming through the local jurisdiction to say, hey, we got this notification from the IRS and they're asking additional questions. But at the end of that 120 days, that's where, according to this FAQ, the IRS is going to make a conclusion as to whether they think there's significant noncompliance or not. Okay, and I know the Netherlands a while back had come out with a notice indicating that no FFIs are going to lose their status due to this lack of a TIN issue until 2023. That was something issued by the Netherlands, not by the IRS themselves. If you do the math, I think that's where you'd come out. You know, assuming the IRS concluded you were in significant noncompliance right away, if you do the 18 months that we have within the IGA, once there's a notification of significant noncompliance, the FFI gets this 18 months to try to remediate the situation. So I think that's right. And like if it happened immediately and you, and you go through that, I think you're in the time frame of 2023. That's where you would expect the earliest where we'd have somebody that would actually be removed or could be removed from that FFI list. Okay, but that doesn't mean that you just hang back and do nothing. You're not at risk of losing your status immediately. And I think the IRS has said that in their FAQs, but you don't want to wait until you're in that situation. You want to take proactive steps now to minimize the chances of actually losing your status because that's a pretty catastrophic outcome. Absolutely. Documenting all that very carefully. What have you done to comply with the notice, first of all? that your annual solicitations and I would get that detailed information by account, everything you've done. You know, I've I've reached out, I'm not hearing back and and just show that you've got those practices and procedures that that notice required to make sure that going forward that you're doing everything to adequately document and you're doing all your reporting correctly. Also doing everything you can to get those TINs where you haven't been able to for the pre-existing. I don't think there's going to be a lot of turnaround time. So when you're asked this, I don't think the IRS is going to give a lot of time to prepare that. So I think you're going to want to have that done and ready to go when the request is made. 
And so you raise the issue of you should be reporting properly, and that does raise a question of, well, how do you report properly, given that you have no TINs? One thing that we saw a lot of financial institutions do previously was if a TIN was missing, they'd report in that field as either nine A's in a row or nine zeros in a row to indicate that they don't have a TIN because you can't really use that, leave that field blank. And the IRS has now indicated that any reports that are entered with either nine A's, nine zeros, any other obviously incorrect TINs like sequential numbers or something like that will trigger an automatic 120-day notice. So they're saying that even if you can get it in through the local jurisdiction, this is going to flag an error report because they are now cracking down on this issue. But the IRS has come out with certain codes that you're permitted to use. One thing we should note, they are very clear in their FAQs that, number one, the use of these codes aren't mandatory. And number two, using these codes doesn't mean that you're not going to be treated as non-compliant. But what they do allow you to do is provide the IRS with some explanation for certain cases of why you have no TIN. And even though they're voluntary, we highly recommend using them because you're going to want to demonstrate to the IRS, to the best of your ability, why you have a good reason for having no TINs. And the codes they've provided address the more sympathetic cases. So examples of them, the codes range from either nine twos all the way up to nine sevens, and they indicate various things. Nine twos indicates that you've got a pre-existing account with the only U.S. indicia being a U.S. place of birth. So this is a sympathetic case because you've got a pre-existing individual account. And in the scenario where the only indicia is a U.S. place of birth, that suggests that you may have that accidental American situation here, right? There's no evidence that the U.S. person is physically in the United States anymore. The only link to the U.S. based on the document they have is that there's a U.S. place of birth. So you could have that scenario where a person was born in the U.S. and moved away. The threes, fours, and fives series all address situations where either the account was once fully documented, but a change of a circumstance occurred, and now the account is no longer fully documented, or the account originally was below the threshold requiring documentation, and then a subsequent change led to the account being above the threshold. Then they've got pre-existing accounts where the balance exceeded a million dollars, the account was held by a passive NFFE, but there was no self-certification obtained for the controlling persons, and there's no U.S. indicia identified to indicate that the controlling persons are U.S. persons. And then the final scenario addresses dormant accounts. I think the benefit of providing these codes is it tells the IRS a story of why you have no TINs. These are all scenarios that practically could exist in many cases, not due to the fault of the financial institution, but just due to the circumstances where the account holder is not providing the information required, even though the financial institution is doing everything they can to obtain that information. I will note here, though, that not every scenario is covered. So obviously, the scenario where you've got a new account and you never got documentation in the first place, those undocumented scenarios, they're not addressed because they're not particularly sympathetic cases. The IRS's view is that you should be closing those accounts. But beyond that, there's other cases where the financial institution may have been acting properly, but simply doesn't have a U.S. TIN. So, for example, in that pre-existing account above a million dollars held by a passive NFFE, if the controlling person had U.S. indicia in that case, then yes, the financial institution was required to try to obtain a certification and get that TIN for that 
controlling person so they could report it. But what happens if that account holder doesn't respond? This is a pre-existing account where you lose your leverage to require documentation because the account's already opened. And in that scenario, that is a case where the financial institution followed its procedures but simply wasn't able to get the documentation. Another scenario that they don't include are, in general, pre-existing accounts where there's uncured U.S. indicia. They only include the scenarios where there's been a change in status or where the indicia is only a U.S. place or birth, but they don't address all of the others. These are the cases where, as Lori said, you're going to want to note this in your system because even though you can't report the specific code to tell the IRS this, there is going to be that 120-day follow-up period where you're going to expect to receive some notification and you're going to want to have the reasons identified for each of these accounts. When possible, you're going to want to close the accounts where it was due to your own fault, but you also want the story for all the other cases where you did everything properly. I think that's right. And I think you want to note, if you can't close that account, have clear details as to what is the legal impediment that's preventing you from closing that. And then again, just being able to respond timely. Again, because these are model ones, we expect the IRS request to go through the local jurisdiction, the local tax authority. And so however that registration system is locally to make sure that the proper name for contact and and the the mechanism to contact is updated so that the local jurisdiction doesn't have trouble seeking the right person within the institution and, and losing that valuable time to respond. And we see a lot now that a long period has passed between the time that financial institutions originally registered, probably back in 2014 and today, a lot of times those ROs have changed. And we see a lot of scenarios where financial institutions don't have the proper contact information in their records on that IRS portal. That's important to keep updated because you have to make sure that when you get notifications through the IRS, that you're getting them to the right person because you can lose your ability to respond timely if you're not getting those notifications. Yes, absolutely. Okay. And the last thing we wanted to cover, and this is specific to the Cayman Islands, but it is a really big issue that's coming very soon. The Cayman Islands has introduced a new CRS compliance form where a lot of information is going to be required to be tallied in addition to the general reporting that's required. We're not going to talk about that in detail today. We will actually have a podcast, I I think two podcasts from now, where we'll go over that form in detail and what's required. But the one thing we wanted to tee up in advance was part of that certification requires that the financial institution certify to the Cayman Islands that they have written policies and procedures in effect to cover CRS compliance. I will say that it is not overly prevalent in the alternative investment arena. So, for example, fund managers and trustees don't necessarily always have these procedures written out. And this is something that you're going to have to certify to in a very short period of time. We're only a couple of months away now, and it takes a period of time to get those procedures in place. So that's one we wanted to highlight in advance, because if you don't have those written policies and procedures currently, you want to get that immediately because you're going to have to make the certification really soon. And with that, I think that concludes our podcast for today. Thank you so much for joining us for IRW Coffee Break. We hope you can join us again soon. 